Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing very well, Jody. How are you doing? I'm feeling straight. I went to the chiropractor this morning. <laughs> yes, yeah, so something that you want to tell us all here? But oh, I, was I thought I knew that about you. and I had to go get adjusted to get it straightened back out so that I didn't have pain. Ah, because I could take that in a completely different direction. I know you could. I don't want to go there. (laughs) We're not going to go there. Where we are going to go is we're going to introduce a new segment that we'll do from time to time, something that we're calling On the Talkback Mic. Yes. What is the grand inaugural Talkback Mic thing? The premise first is things that kind of bug us, things that we think are kind of cool. And the thing that bugs me this week is I've noticed a trend where software companies are asking for your credit card information when you're trying to demo one of their plugins. Yep. Hate it. Bad idea. I think it's a ridiculous idea because if you're showing an interest in a plugin, if money was no object, you just buy it. Sure. Right? If you just want to try something out, I'm going to put two companies on the spot here because I mentioned last week my Friday find was ToneHub mm-hmm. from STL Tones. Yep. And they actually require you to start a subscription that you can then cancel within 30 days if you don't like the product. Hint, hint. They're hoping you don't cancel and you forget about it. Exactly. And I'm sure if the product is great, that's awesome. But I'm not a fan of people asking for credit card information up front. That's terrible. I mean, that's highly personable stuff. And I think it's putting something on the customer that is generally interested in the product, another step that they have to go through if they don't want it. I think it's a bad idea. The other one I've seen do that is minimal audio, Mm -hmm. where, no, we don't have a demo, but you can buy it full price and then request a refund in 30 days. Yeah, I I think it's lame. (laughs) I'll just say lame. It's not just audio companies that do this, and I think they're getting it the idea for it from somewhere else. I'm sure, yeah. Which is frustrating as hell, which is just completely asinine to me. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, these companies probably have what they consider valid reasons for doing this. I get it. It's piracy and all this kind of thing that drives a lot of companies underground because they can't do it. I don't think this is a good way of going about it. So I thought that was like, ugh, this kind of makes my screen crawl because then I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not going to deal with your product then. Gotcha. So that's the first subject on the talkback, Mike. And I guess now we've got that out of the way. We'll jump into the actual subject, which is reverb types and choosing the right one for what you're doing. Yes. Can be fuzzy, I think, when we're starting out, you know, when we're doing this, because it's just, it's very tempting to just throw reverb on everything and taking very little consideration to what it is that you're trying to do with that reverb. Yeah. Take stock in what you're listening to. Exactly. Maybe we'll start off and rambling off some, what types of reverb are we thinking about? At least you and I, when we're we're dealing with reverb. Well, let's start off with what just about every reverb company will do. Hall reverbs, room reverbs, plate reverbs, spring reverbs, 
and chamber reverbs. That pretty much covers the gamut of most reverbs. And those are all relative, generally speaking, to actual environments. Now, two of them in that list, plate and spring being the ones that I'm thinking of, are based on reverbs that are created very specifically from plates and springs, actual springs set inside right. some sort of box to do something. Have I missed yeah. anything? No, I think that's it. We're dealing with those mostly today as algorithmic reverbs, meaning yes. like they're digital recreations. Plates used to be obviously actual giant, giant sheets plates of metal. <laughs> yeah. In a box with that microphones. Would, that would be reverberating and, and creating the sound, right? And of course, spring, anybody that has like an older little guitar combo practice amp or something, and you knock that over, sometimes you have that boing, 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 boing. That, that's the spring. <laughs> Do in. that again. Boing, boing, boing. Boing, boing, boing. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you can sample that. That's great. Different kinds of ways that we, we get our reverbs today, I suppose. When we got those algorithmic digital reverbs, and they mm -hmm. could be either reverb boxes or, you know, in software form, right? But then we also have impulse responses these days. Yes. What and an amazing change that was to the reverb world. It was. Absolutely. And I think it was the Dutch company. What was the name of the company? Altiverb? Altiverb. There you go. I, think I don't know they if the they first. were the first, but they certainly did it very, very well. And they still do it very, very well. Because they were the big dog. They were. Initially, oh, yeah. when it comes to IRs to sort of be able to accurately capture real spaces. spaces. Yeah. Right. Now I see, however, a little bit more of throwback to algorithmic reverbs when you see more where it's just like what we're creating interesting spaces just in kind of recreating a little bit of that almost like an 80s kind of vibe mm -hmm. with even with software reverbs today. Right. But do you lean on one more or the other? In terms of, of the you, type of what I'm using? Yeah whether you're talking algorithmic or impulse. And I just yeah. want to quickly inject that impulse responses are also sometimes known as convolution reverb, just right. in case Good people point. are curious. Yeah. Like, Wait, they didn't mention this one. Uh, convolution is equivalent to IR or impulse responses. The answer to your question that you just asked is about 50-50. Yeah. I'm going to go 50-50. There was a point in time where I was using almost... 90-10 on the impulse responses. And it had a lot to do with the company that you just mentioned with Altiverb. Yeah. I had Altiverb for a good long time and I had it set up in a way that made it real easy. And I have hundreds of sessions that has that in there. <laughs> so <laughs> if I ever have to go and recreate that stuff, it might be a problem if I don't have all of the old versions of the plugins on an old machine to do it. That being said, at this point now is pretty much half and half. And I'm almost starting to go back to favoring algorithmic reverbs. And a lot of it has to do with some of my favorite choices. Yeah. I'm in a similar situation. I never had Altiverb. I was very, very happy. <laughs> Well, I, there was probably a time where I was jealous because you always had to have the newest Chinese thing. I was very happy when Logic had Space Designer or yeah. introduced Space Designer. Which was I can't great remember because if that it could was, also use impulse responses. Right. I relied heavily 
on uh, Space Designer, and Space Designer was my main reverb for a long time. I did that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until relatively recently, a few years ago, when I started using the reverb that I do now. So now yeah. let's really dive in on this because we had mentioned this is about how to choose the right reverb. Let's think about what it is that we want the track to actually sound like when it comes to spatial quality. Yeah, right? absolutely. Do we want it to be in an actual physical space where we want a ludicrous example, but let's say that, oh, we want this to sound like it was in the Taj Mahal. Mm. So you pull up your Taj Mahal IR and place it in there, right? In a really obvious effect. If you're mixing more standard music or like whether that's rock or pop or country or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. you might want to add just a little bit of ambience to it. You have to take that into consideration. What are you trying to do? Are we going to go for like a big effect? Are we going for just placing it somewhere and make those judgments appropriately? How about if I say it like this? First off, we need to listen to the song, maybe have a little chat with the artist if we're doing this for somebody else, and find out what the vibe of the track is trying to say and how the artist wants to get that across to the listener. And that means, what does this actually call for? Yeah. And those questions can be, do we want it to be intimate? Do we want it to be larger than life? Or is it literally just some sort of an effect? Yeah, those are really, really good questions. And that's the thing that we need to ask ourselves. And it's something that you hear people when they're mixing something and they're hearing something from the first time. I listen for where I want to take this track and what's mm-hmm. going to be appropriate, right? And that, to me, means listening for not only the style of music, but also what type of track it is, right? Is it a sparse track? Is it a really dense track with a lot of instrumentation? So we have to make those calls there. And the way that I tend to think about it is, the busier the mix or the busier the arrangement is, uh-huh. you're probably going to have to use less reverb, in my opinion, because it's so easy to smear everything or at least make even more educated decisions on what type of reverb that you're going to be using. I would concur with that, actually. Yeah. It really does come down to a few factors, and you mentioning one being extremely busy or with a lot of tracks. And I know once I get into a mix that might have upwards of, say, 75, 100, 125 tracks, the amount of reverb that I'm using, especially per instrument, goes logarithmically down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The simple thing is that one thing that I've discovered anyway is like you simply don't need it, right? And well, here it may again, not be so much as you don't need it as because of the way it might be recorded, you might already have a lot of natural ambience in there. And then yeah. it becomes a matter of figuring out how do you make that work, especially as the track count goes way up. Right. But that's what I mean. It's like you, you don't need it because it, it's that – 14th guitar that only plays that the lick in the second verse, you know, is that, does that really or need to have extra soul? reverb on it? <laughs> Maybe. So it's making those calls where, but if you have just a, uh, 
an acoustic guitar, a stand-up bass, a kit, and a singer, uh -huh. you know, you have more space to work with. No right. pun intended. Exactly. Right? But here also is then you really have to listen for the intimacy. Does it call for huge vocals? Or do we want it to be more of a dry type of a sound mm -hmm. to kind of get that intimacy? Or is it going to be more spacey? It's going to be lush, that type of thing. These are all things that we have to take into consideration, I think, when we're going into choosing what, well, never mind the type of reverb, but how much of reverb that, that we're going to use. And speaking of choosing, let's choose to hear a word from our sponsor. And we're back. We're going to now dive into how we go about choosing the type of reverb and maybe sprinkle a little extra information in on top of that. What kind of reverb do you choose, Chris, for vocals? I generally go with a combination of two types of reverb. Mm. I will generally start with a room type of reverb, generally mm -hmm. very small room, just to have a little bit of ambience around the vocal. Okay. So it just puts it in like a little bit of a real space. If there's not any present in the vocal mic, which I prefer not to have, to be honest. Does that mean you like to record people with a box around their head? Oh, always, always a box around <laughs> their head, yeah. No, I, it, but in all seriousness, I prefer to have less bleed in with a vocal, mm -hmm. generally, because unless it's been recorded in a very pristine situation, where it is like a really nice room sound, it, it's difficult. You can do it, but it's difficult to remove that space if it's not pleasant. And I find that once you start adding compression and stuff, that ambience can a lot of times just hinder the production and uh, not create it in a good space. So I like to start with as dry vocal as I can. Mm but then add a little bit of ambience to it. The second verb I like to use is usually a hall. Okay. This is what I like to use to give it the girth and the gloriousness of- The grandioseness? <laughs> yeah, to make that big and epic. Those are the two that I tend to do. I do like a room, like a really short thing, way less than a second kind of a thing. And mm -hmm. then the hall would be a little bit longer and then I think we'll discuss that a little bit once I hear your choices, but that tends to be a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So on vocals, what do you do? I know you do some fairly elaborate stuff I generally do. on the vocal. And so, it's going to depend more upon whether it's the lead vocal or background vocals as well. Well, let's go. I'm thinking lead here, so you should go lead as well. All right. I combine a short reverb, often a slapback reverb, with a little bit of delay. To yeah, give the wrong. immediate, it's, wrong. <laughs> it's very wrong, <laughs> to give an immediacy to the vocal. And then I will choose whether or not I want the quote unquote giant hall grandioseness, an actual room vibe, a very smooth, angelic tapering from a plate. I generally will not use a spring reverb on a vocal unless it's meant to be rockabilly and yeah, then in terms yeah. of chamber it, that goes along the lines of like what size room am i really going for or do i want it to be angelic so that's going to be the second reverb ish vibe 
especially if it needs a little bit more beyond the intimacy of being an upfront in your face kind of lyric or vocal. That's how I achieve it, but it's a combination, not just of reverb, but since we're only talking reverb, I'm going to not really discuss the idea of how I'm using the delay. My initial reverb is usually very short, shorter than yours, and not so much just a room, but often just slapback. And then, and then you would choosing use... the size of the slapback based on whatever it needs. And then the second reverb, which becomes more of the tail end of things, is a choice of one of the other four. You mentioned plate in there, but you also mm -hmm. mentioned room. So when you say for the spaciness, if you will, or the spatial Quality. flavor yeah. of the reverb, do you go for generally a larger room and then compensate a little bit with pre-delay? Program dependent, uh, uh, dude. Has a lot yeah. to do, if it's a singer-songwriter, I'm not going to go for some giant grandiose thing, really. No, often. right. And I'm going to make it sound a little bit more realistic by going right. with a room. And then what size is the room that I'm thinking that it needs to be in? And that right. might be detailed from the artist and knowing what's the song about and what's the vibe that it needs to get across. So that's where the choices come from. And that's why I mentioned the plate one too, because plates I can often see as being more angelic in nature because they're so much smoother than actual rooms. Yeah, I'm with you on that, absolutely. Now, I suppose we can touch a little bit on length of reverb mm -hmm. while we're doing this as well. Let's say that you're going for something that's a natural type of a vibe yeah. and you're using a, a larger room. What are you looking for as far as reverb time if you have that choice in if you're using your algorithmic or or an ir but. how much it'll step over the instrumentation that i'm choosing it for yeah yeah if it's meant to be an effect it's going to be in there and it's going to be grand if it's not meant to be an effect and it's meant to give spatial quality and it's mostly there to give an idea of immensity that's a strange made-up word isn't it <laughs> I want it to make sure that generally the tail is not going to step all over everything. And that doesn't matter whether it's vocal or, or another instrument either to me. Right. The last thing there I want to just ask on, on the, the size or the length of the reverb, do you, I'm assuming you, you take into consideration as do I w with how busy the vocal is, uh -huh. right? The, the busier the vocal, you, you're probably not having a really long tail on the reverb. It's possible, most likely probable. And if I do, I'm likely to be using a side chain ducking situation to duck it out right. of the way for the current vocal coming kind of thing. Yeah, so that it, it breathes yeah. type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, so guitar. Here, it again depends on the type of track, mm -hmm. right? I am very unlikely to use a spring reverb. I don't necessarily like them. You have racist tendencies towards springs or something? I have. I got nothing for say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I just don't like the sound generally. If I were to use one, it would be if it would be more of a um, classic surf guitar, guitar tone. It could be surf guitar or maybe even if I were to do a, a country track maybe. Mm or rockabilly type of a thing again where that is just the appropriate sound inherent nature guitar. to the but, song but, yeah. yeah but i am very unlikely to pull up a spring type of reverb in a rock track for example gotcha 
it deserves a mention there when it comes to guitars because it, it is, like you said, it, sometimes it's built into amps and, and that type of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it is a classic thing. I don't use it that much. If I'm using reverb on guitar, it will fall into two camps here. If it's adding some space to it, mm -hmm. which can happen, because a lot of times with DIs and amp sims and things, we don't get a whole lot of room. And you could argue that you really don't get a whole lot of room if you just stick in a 57 in front of a blasting cab either. But I will add a little bit of ambience there. Again, like a small wooden room type of a vibe and blend that in just so that it's put in a space. Gotcha. And the space in this case would be like a studio type of a thing to give it a little bit of a live kind of situation. Mm -hmm. The other would be if I am going all out on like a clean guitar or something. There I might get a little bit more judicious with some hall type of a reverb and probably sprinkle that with other types of effects as well. But that's how I would go for a hall, possibly even a plate, but I'm probably going with a hall just for the gloriousness of the guitar <laughs> part. <laughs> nice. um, and what about you? I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. I'm working much the same way. In terms of creating space, one of my favorite choices that we'll mention in a moment is the general way that I will make a left and right guitar double tracking situation work extremely well. What about acoustic guitar? What do you do on acoustic guitars? Same More idea. often, it's much like I would treat the vocal. If it's meant to be intimate, I'm going to probably set up a little bit of a delay, a slap, and then a tail end of whatever size room it really needs. Yeah. So just mainly put because it in. if it's an intimate track and it's mostly singer-songwriter, it makes more sense. If it's in a very dense thing, I am not going to do what I just said. I will <laughs> use most likely very little spatial quality to it, mainly because yeah. in a dense track, it's hard to get the idea of whatever that space really is. And it just yeah. becomes the nature of the acoustic guitar to just be acoustic and be there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm definitely with you on that as well. When it comes to sitting in a track, again, I use the example of a rock track and there's maybe there's an acoustic guitar strumming along in the chorus for more of a rhythmic effect, actually. Mm -hmm. Anything you add to that, it's almost just going to dull those transients more to yep. me. It becomes a negative as opposed to adding something just for spatial quality. What about drums, dude? I am one of those people that actually still like to use reverb on toms and snares silly I think, silly man <laughs> i know i know people much prefer to have the natural room on room mics i just like to have a little bit extra space on snares okay and Phil. possibly the toms <laughs> yeah i'm not necessarily going all phil calling but i do like yeah I, I i like reverb on snares man i i think they elongate that tail a little bit and just give some space to it again of course it's really content dependent. That's right. right. The stuff that I tend to do more often than not, I have like a drum reverb send on my mix template where it's like generally toms and snare go into that. And that would be usually a room. Mm -hmm. A bigger room? A little bigger room. It would also depend a fair bit on the tempo of the song here where I choose the length. I might adjust that so that it 
drops out before the next snare hit comes in. Okay. And is that choice more IR or algorithmic? Well, you'll see when it comes to my my choices here coming okay. up, my favorite reverb. But it's it's no, kind no. of blurred. I, I've done both. Okay. I've done both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you deal with keys and things? Let's say that you got like an organic type of a keyboard type of thing. You maybe have like a Rhodes or an electric piano or, or something or a Hammond maybe even. I go very much into the situation of an impulse response if I'm going, like you're, what you're saying, organic, and figuring out a layout of how the band would be arranged either on a stage or in the recording room. And this is dependent on the idea behind it also changes drastically if I'm thinking in 360 or if I'm thinking in stereo. And the reason why I would choose an impulse response is you're just asking uh, what kind of room I'm going to sit it in. And generally speaking, things like a Rhodes or Keys generally don't, unless they're synthesizers, generally aren't treated any different than a vocal or a guitar in that regard for the spatiality of it. Most likely, I'm not running it through a spring or a plate. I'm going for a chamber, a room, or a hall. And if I'm doing that more often than not with the instrumentation that you're asking about, I'm going to go impulse response. Yeah. Yeah. And would you share that same IR then with the other instruments that might be in there just to sort of place them all in a in the same space, in the same room? I will use multiple instances to get a further control over where they are sitting in the room. Okay. And it has more to do with the way I end up mixing for stems. Right. Because you don't yeah. want to export stems that are keyboards and synths into your guitars and yes. vice versa. Right, right. Yeah, it becomes a little bit of a pain. I recently heard a very popular mix engineer discuss that. At this point, he doesn't do the send to reverbs and things anymore. Mm-hmm. He said with the processing power we have today, he treats each reverb for each track. And that makes good sense based on that. Yeah. The sand thing is either we're sharing the same reverb because we want them in the same space, Mm -hmm. or in the days of analog, they were sharing the same box. They had So there was no other, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a hangover workflow from them. But then also early days of of IRs and convolution where you'd use one or two and it would tax your system to its knees, right? Yeah. The reason I wanted to separate sort of more keyboard sounds to synths Mm -hmm. because with synths, depending on what they are, of course, we get into the lines of less realism. Exactly. When you're dealing with that type of thing, to me, all bets are off. Mm -hmm. Then it's almost, in a lot of cases, like the the more reverb, the better. Right. Because you're going for an effect. That's a little bit of a different beast. Then it's just a matter of just go algorithmic and go all the way, make it massive, you know, if that's what it calls for. (laughs) Now, we have to be a little careful though, because also if we're doing like a pop track, let's say, and you have a perhaps an arpeggiated bit that's going on, if you are too aggressive with your reverb there, it it might just smear the part, right? If it's not built into the patch itself, which a lot of synths do. To wrap this up, I guess, what are some of the, we've hinted at it here as we're going on, but what are your favorite reverb units that that you'd like to use? These are the ones that come immediately to mind. Okay. T-verb, which is a realistic style reverb from Eventide. 
Shimmerverb. Tony Visconti. Yeah, Tony Visconti's thing, right? verb. Yeah. Shimmerverb yep. is another one that I like to use a lot. The 224 and the 480 from Universal Audio. Those yeah. two get a lot of use for me. The new Hitsville Reverb Chambers from Motown, which UA has done, I've used quite a bit as of late because it just sounds so damn real. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Capitol Records Recording Chambers as well are also... Those two fall under the concept of the impulse responses, but you don't get to really choose them out. You get a lot of choices for mics and where you place them, how far away from the sound source and that. And that's what makes them great. They're fun. And it's very different. It's like algorithmic versions of IRs, I guess would be a good way of saying it. I don't know how they actually pull it off, but it sounds really, really awesome. And then the last one for quick and dirty, easy digital stuff is the Neoverb. Yeah. So yeah. those are my choices the, right there as my favorites that I go to quite a lot now. Right. My okay. heavy lifting mm -hmm. will always be done by a plugin called Verb Suite Classics okay. from, from Slate. That's the one that I latched on to after I, I don't want to say I stopped using Space Designer because that's not true, but I use it in a much lesser degree right now. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I don't need another reverb. But I needed another reverb. <laughs> Everybody needs another reverb. And, and this is where it's, it gets a little bit blurred because these are all based on classic units mm -hmm. in there. They're IRs of old algorithmic reverbs. So the so lines get blurred. So does that make them IRs or digital algorithms? What the hell? Just kidding. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, you have a lot of control over every parameter pretty much in there as well. Mm -hmm. So that's where I get all my reverbs from. The, the two one types that I lean on most heavily that I pull up is the 480, Lexicon 480, and the, the Brucasti, nice. which, which I think sound awesome. You mentioned the T-verb yes. there from Eventide. Okay. That is a really, really cool one as well, how you can place things in a space there. Well, it's got That's three awesome. mics, and you can move them anywhere in the room. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. And another one that you didn't mention, but I wanted to bring up here is actually even tie the black hole yep. for that unworthy synth thing or on big giant trailer hits or something. Oh, yeah. So it's absolutely glorious. I do like the shimmer verb as well. It's really, really cool. I, I like that on guitar as a more of an effect to me. Also, the Valhalla stuff for that unworldly or outerworldly or a word like that. <laughs> you know, top of reverbs get a lot of use from me when I'm doing that kind of stuff. So th there's a lot of options here. Sounds like both you and I are leaning more on halls and rooms than anything else, do you think? No, I wouldn't say that for myself, but you can say it for yourself. I'm going to say it for myself. All right, let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what you got today? I discovered something that I'm probably not going to get a whole lot of use for, but I think some people will. It's a piece of software from a company called Stagecraft Software, and they have something called Universal Plug. Mm -hmm. You remember when we had to use wrappers and things to go to AU and things in the early days when, we, when audio units started happening. Right. Universal Plug allows you to run VST plugins in a host that normally wouldn't, such right. as Logic or Pro Tools or... You're going to fight me on this, but I think Luna as well. I'm not going to fight That's what the claim is. I have no idea. Yeah. 
So I, I thought that was a pretty cool piece of software. Now, I do think that most manufacturers provide a plugin for each format these days, at least the major ones. But I know there are other developers out there that might just do a VST because there might not be budgets or anything for all types of formats. And if you use one of those plugins in your workflow all the time, this might be a really cool addition to your arsenal. Universal Plug by Stagecraft Software. Mm -hmm. And what do you got? I'm going with a sequencer called Catalyst by Toneworks. Ooh. It is quite the plugin, is a good way of saying it, because it can really do some creatively crazy stuff for MIDI. And what makes it even wilder is that even though it's a MIDI plugin, it will integrate the VST into it. And it can do up to 32 steps of patterns with up to five different pattern slots available. And then it has randomized functions and multiple octave functions. It's just crazy what this thing can do with generating MIDI to really take it somewhere beyond what a human could actually play. So I'm going with Catalyst by Toneworks. Cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word reverb, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say, see you next week. Talk to you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody.